Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, January 24th, 2022. Happy birthday to my sister, Christina. On the show today, news, listener questions. And in our main segment, Jim continues the story of Disney's first attempt at a Marvel-themed attraction, the Iron Man Experience at Hong Kong Disneyland. Let's get started by bringing in the man who reminds you that when your boss says, go big or go home... They're giving you the option to go home. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I think you and I have both been working from home for decades now. Yeah, it's been for me 10 years, yeah. First of all, the commuter's a bear. (laughs) But more to the point when you get frustrated, when you get angry, it's like, that's it, I'm going home. It's like, well, okay. Uh, I'm going upstairs. (laughs) There we go. I'll be here in the broom closet stewing. Yeah, for the longest time, it was... I would work seven days a week. I mean, in, until until like the last couple of months, I was working every day just because it's, you know, I work at home and I would just sit down in front mm-hmm. of the computer. And even if it's just, you know, checking email or doing something. But lately it's been like, you know what? Instead of going downstairs and flipping on the computer because I'm bored, I'm going to go out for mm-hmm. a walk. <laughs> it's a better idea. Very wise. Yeah. The downside here is, especially in January with our driveway iced over, I step up to take a walk and then it's a slip and slide out into the road. We, we each have our winter sports, Jim. I look forward to uh, seeing you at the Beijing Olympics for that. There we go. Look for me in the luge. Okay. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Thomas T. Forever, Carolina Girl, and Shelly W. 64. And the longtime subscribers, Vernon Rollins, Melissa Iannata, and our old friend, Greyhazer from MonorailNews.com. Jim, these are the skilled astromechanic cast members who fix the Millennium Falcon each time guests bring it back damaged while on Smuggler's Run. And I know you're thinking, Jim, why does Disney pay for the repairs when Hondo Anaka is the one running the operation? But apparently, damaging the Falcon triggers a rip-some-arms-off response in Wookiees, and Disney's market research shows that guests without arms can't carry gift bags. True story. Boy, you actually picked a great week to do this. Have you been watching (laughs) Book of Boba Fett? I've not. No, I'm actually going back through the original Star Wars movies to prep for uh, March 1st and the Galactic Star Cruiser. But what's up with uh, Boba Fett? I've heard it's good. It's not bad, but but literally this week's episode, we finally got a Wookiee ripping off somebody's arm. (laughs) It's the uh, the, uh, the origin story of the phrase? I assume. So, you know, how timely of you? To zero in on this issue. Speaking of uh, of Disney films, I finally saw Encanto. Oh, and <laughs> loved it, loved mm. it. Thought it was fantastic. I uh, was over. Uh, Chrissy made dinner uh, one night this week, so I drove over mm. to uh, have it. I watched it with Gigi, her daughter. It was a uh, great. I mean, the songs are great. The color, the art in it is just oh. amazing. Yeah, well, you you mentioned the songs. That what's interesting is we don't talk about Bruno. Yeah. Is literally, I, I think, the number one song of the country right now. And it, so funny is there's this great story about writing the songs for the film, and they were trying to settle on the name for the mysterious uncle. And Lynn sort of sort of slammed his foot down. It's like, no, it has to be Bruno, because then we can go, no, no, no. You know, just like it's musically. He can't, yeah. We don't talk about Uncle Phil, ill, ill, ill. No, it doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> so. That's actually a great point. You picked the name to, to make the, uh, the rhyme scheme work. There we go. This is this is why they're professional songwriters. They know those tricks. This is true. All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, uh, Jim, Disney's saying that Woody's Roundup Barbecue, which was first announced in 2019, 
will open sometime in 2022. I think we're, we heard summer. Is that what you heard? They're being a little slippy slidey. I mean, I, I think you're the one who explains when they say summer, that could be June, that could be September. Yeah. Summer is basically May through, yeah, late September for Disney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seasons are so, fluid. What have you been his time, Jim? I know they want the restaurant open. The pushback from the folks who are actually going to operate the restaurant to the effect of, look, are we opening with, quote unquote, COVID capacity? Oh, right. Or are we going to open with really for real capacity? And the pushback from management is like, nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> the answer is yes and no simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> Schrodinger's restaurant. But we clearly need this. The poor lunchbox facility. Yeah. It's really been hammered since this land opened to the park and they they could use the relief. Yeah. I mean, uh, they're working on uh, space around uh, lunchbox now Mm -hmm. to to either add or improve the the seating situation there, which frankly it lacks. But I think in general, I mean, the studios needs another sit down restaurant. So this will be good. Yeah. This will be great. But also making the folks at operations crazy, it's like you couldn't wait to do the upgrade of the seating of Lunchbox till after the barbecue place opens. Like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, it, must be, it must be urgent and immediate. <laughs> oh, God. All right. Also, we're getting uh, a new gift shop, Jesse's Trading Post over in Toy Story Land. So, Jim, a proper store in Toy Story Land. It's time. Yeah. It's time. Didn't they have the equivalent, though, back when it was Pixar Place? The kind of walk-in store next to the Woody and Buzz meet and greet? Yeah, they did over in uh, in that area right now that was uh, briefly also character greetings. There we go. Yeah, they did over there. But that didn't last very long. And that was sort of, I mean, anything in a dead end in a theme park is not going to get the kind of traffic that Disney's looking no, for. So, not at all. Not at all. So. all right, Jim, over at Epcot, have you seen the new nighttime show program that Spaceship Earth got for Festival of the Arts? With Kermit and the Muppets singing Rainbow Connection? Was it your sister who posted the video who mentioned that it's okay to cheer up when animal comes into the <laughs> Exactly. You know, I, I, I like the song. Uh, I like the the effects. I'm not mm. convinced it belongs in Epcot. I mean, I lo- don't get me wrong. I love the Muppets. I like the song a lot. I, I the pack, It's just, it's it, something about it being in Epcot that I'm thinking like that doesn't feel right. Which is weird because, like we were just talking about Encanto, you know, I watched that film. I'm like, okay, we'll put Columbia in World Showcase and we'll do this and I'll be okay with it, right? Mm-hmm. But Muppets in Epcot on Spaceship Earth just didn't, didn't give me the same feeling. And again, I like the, all the individual components, but it's like putting them mm-hmm. all together, not my, not my thing. I don't know. This is the modern Disney company. You know, it's just sort of you look for places to shoe in IP everywhere. And there was one version of the redo of Journey into Imagination. It was built around the characters from Pixar's Inside Out. Mm-hmm. And there was one version that was written around the Muppets. Neither of them has gone forward. Huh. But this is the feel with, with especially when it comes to feature, uh, Future World. It's like, we need more characters in here. And we need to figure out logical ways to put them in or maybe not so logical ways just get them in there so <laughs> here's a wall here's your fistful of spaghetti go there yeah. you go All there right. we go <laughs> that to me is one of the, the most fascinating things festival of the earth when you walk around like world showcase there's robin hood painted on a wall or the characters from luca you know that are now part of a, a mural yeah 
you know, and people do respond to this stuff. I mean, you know, just if you know, you remember, this is the modern Disney company. They gauge what's being said on social media, and it's like, ooh, that got a response. Let's create another giant purple wall in the Magic Kingdom. Fair. All right. Uh, also, Jim, we have uh, some new restaurant openings coming up. Flying Fish at Boardwalk reopens January 27th. So that's what, Thursday? That's great. Uh, Turf Club over at Saratoga Springs reopens February 3rd. And then Jico at Animal Kingdom Lodge reopens February 17th. So Flying Fish and Jico were fairly highly rated restaurants. Jico's perennially in the top five of all mm-hmm. Walt Disney World restaurants. So it'll be good to see that open. Flying Fish also has tons and tons of fans. Give people over at the boardwalk and in the Epcot Resort area another option there. Church Club, not as highly rated, but uh, mm-hmm. but Saratoga Springs definitely needs uh, dining options on site for those people who don't want to go over to uh, uh, Disney Springs. That's it, exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really is kind of pleasing because these three can be reopened means that cast members are returning to the park. And what does it lend? Nature is healing. Nature is healing, exactly, yeah. I think part of this, too, is... Uh, Disney's starting to get more staff back from the the Omicron uh, virus that's been affecting them. I heard like in, you know, over the last month, like especially like middle of December to late December, mm-hmm. a ton of cast were uh, cast members were out sick. But now they're starting to those numbers are dropping pretty quickly. So yeah, yeah. that's so, good. Good to hear. All right, Jim, we haven't talked about Universal Orlando in a while, especially rumors around what's going on with uh, park, new park attractions and then Epic Universe. You have anything uh, interesting? Rather than start with rumors, we finally got Shrek 4D shut down and Universal hit hand, what, every next morning by putting up fences around that production central show building, which changes opinion. So uh, we are definitely getting our Illuminations mini land in front of that theme park. I, I think you were more intrigued by what's supposedly happening at the stunt show. Yeah, so uh, so the Fear Factor Live Stunt Show is closing. Now, I've heard mm-hmm. a couple of options for what's going in place there. What have you heard? Almost since the day that Diagon Alley opened, there has been discussion about expanding the footprint for that side of the park. And in fact, I, I've been told by veteran Universal Creative members that you're going to put back there, and it's like, well, why don't you take a look at the front of the building and you tell me? And it's like, well, the night bus. They, they've been looking to add another ride experience. I guess they had been talking simulator yeah. ride experience that are similar to Star Tours, but you heard something differently. I've heard I've heard they're looking at uh, virtual reality. Like uh, I, yeah. I'm not sure whether it's headsets or something else, but there are a couple of options with this. But the Knights Bus virtual reality ride makes complete mm. sense, right? Because I mean, yeah. th- that that's a that's a no brainer there. Um, I'm not sure whether it's headsets, glasses, or whatever. But if you look at what companies like Oculus or Facebook are doing mm-hmm. with VR, or what Apple is projected to do with virtual reality glasses in 2023, I think mm-hmm. Universal is looking at this and saying the wearable technology is now not is now small enough that it's not mm-hmm. going to be super intrusive for guests to put it on and get it configured. So I think they're looking like, you know, if Apple comes out with their device in 2023 by 2025, we'll be on gen two or three of that hardware. Mm-hmm. And we can, we can do a lot with that. I've also heard that maybe it's uh, that the Potter VR ride doesn't stay in the existing parks and it moves to Epic universe, but I'm not sure about that. There's a lot actually depending on what happens Later this year with the Secrets of Dumbledore. I want to say our party bio reconstruction has been doing flyovers. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, likewise, Alicia Stella has been doing some stellar work on, on top of the permits and all that. So construction has gone vertical. In the end, you want to be placing the right bet on the right IP. Right. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So we should know more in a, in a few months on that, right? We should. We my, should. my understanding is that the decision about Potter is supposed to be made the week that we're recording this. So that's the, <laughs> the, week, the week of the 17th. I mean, I, I like to keep my information up to date, Jim. So like sometime within the next 36 hours, that decision will oh, be made. Oh, there we go. All right. You know. I don't have a direct line into the conference room where the discussion is happening, but, you know, someone's standing outside. Okay. Oh, okay. One final thing, though, that when you were mentioning where they are with the VR goggles and that sort of thing, what's the smart money on what the Potter goggles will be called? Didn't we... At one point on A Forbidden Journey, we had to wear our Quidditch goggles. Yeah, I don't know. Why would we need to put our glasses on the bus? Uh, oh, these are the sneeze guard. Put those on. Please. I don't know. We'll have to come up with something, though. I'm sure they'll, they'll figure something out. Yeah. There we go. Also, Jim, have you and I talked about the, uh, the survey that Universal sent out asking about Genie Plus-like services for Universal Express Pass? No, but which other park in the country just announced they were doing something lightning lane like uh, it was a it was a regional park kenny kennywood Ken, kennywood yeah kenny rogers mm-hmm. the kenny rogers park yeah <laughs> there we go love the chicken i really don't like this trend but at the same time somebody was pointing out that in a weird sort of way this is disney eating its own tail i mean yeah we have to go back a few decades but it's, yeah you know you want to get on that ride pull a battery yeah I mean, this this is this is what happens when there's a small number of uh, of companies that uh, that dominate the market. Basically, one of them adopts something, and then the rest of them think they uh, they have to do it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, but, by the way, Jim, I, f- I forgot to mention that that uh, that Universal survey that asked about Genie Plus like options that had that disclaimer that said, you know, you're not supposed to talk about this on social media. So Universal, that's that's on me. I'm it's my bad right there. I okay. It, that's me. That's that's me. That's me. My bad, dog. Okay. My bad. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of surveys, Jim, let's go over a couple that uh, some of our listeners have sent in. Julia sent in a Disney survey. And Jim, if you mm-hmm. look at the questions on the survey that Julia sent in, I will bet dollars to donuts that Disney's internal name for this survey is, oh, my God, what have we done now? Because, Jim, let me give you some of the questions. Right. The first one is, please give us details around your upcoming vacation. It's what transportation mode are you using to get to Central Florida? How are you getting from the airport to your Walt Disney World Resort accommodations? And are you spending all of your nights in Central Florida? Are you spending all of them in Walt Disney World? Or are you staying somewhere else? And by the way, how many people are bringing with you on, bringing with you on this? All right. So here's the interesting thing. And then later on, it asks you how committed you are to taking your next Disney trip. And if you answer anything other than I am fully committed Here's the question you get, and I want our listeners to think about this. Which of the following, if any, need to happen for you to be fully committed to your Walt Disney World reservation? Securing time off from work, school, or activities. Walt Disney World theme park offerings need to be more like they were before COVID-19. I've booked multiple trips, and I'm going to see closer to our travel dates which one I'm going to take. COVID case counts in my home area need to be relatively low. I need to decide if the cost of Genie Plus and Lightning Lane is worth it. I need a better understanding of what Genie, Genie Plus, and Lightning Lane is and how it works. I need a special deal or promotion. I need COVID case counts in Central Florida to be relatively low. Oh, my God. If they should never go into a Publix, Julia, never go into a Publix. Mm. I or my travel party need to be sure we feel comfortable traveling at that time. 
I need to decide if the cost of the trip is worth it. Hmm. And I need vaccines or boosters available for members of my travel party. So Jim, it's uh, the ones that I think are interesting is we need to do more stuff like we were doing before COVID. I need to decide if the cost of Genie Plus and Lightning Lane is worth it. I don't understand Genie Plus. I need a deal. COVID cases need, COVID cases need to go down in Central Florida. And everything's so expensive, I'm really not sure it's worth it. Oof, those are some those are some answers, Jim. Oh, <laughs> boy. Jeez. Wow. You know what they didn't have here, though, is you need to build more new rides, which would I would have probably added. Yeah, I get it. Oh my god! Is it Jim? Okay. It's like they're saying which of which of the questionable decisions we've made lately are most likely to affect whether you're going to give us money. <laughs> oh, wow! That that it, you know, and, and and seriously, it it's a notion of each of those are sizable problem. Yeah, please help us decide which of the forest fires exactly. we should. <laughs> We are buried in multiple holes. Which of yes. the holes should we fill first? Oh. <laughs> no, we, we're buried in holes of our own making. Which hole should we stop digging first? <laughs> so the next one, Jim, the next question was, um, so mm-hmm. Julia's staying on site. Her, the question mm-hmm. was, what was your mindset when choosing accommodations for your upcoming trip? Please use the slider to indicate on a scale from zero to 10 how much you agree or disagree with the statement. So the zero scale is, look, my hotel is just a place to sleep. I only value practical considerations, such as location, room size, configuration, and cleanliness. Now a 10 would be accommodations are an extremely important part of the vacation experience. In addition to practical considerations, I want to be immersed in a unique environment that allows me to escape the everyday. And Julia, to her credit, answered that. So she went all the way to that, that has to be unique. And I think when you're in, some of the modern Disney hotel rooms or the DVC resort rooms, there's a decent chance that absent some accent decor pieces, what you're seeing in that room could be at any other Disney resort, right? The the inside of the Riviera could conceivably be with a few minor artwork changes, the inside of the Grand Floridian or the beach club or something like that, right? Yeah. But the Wilderness yeah. Lodge is the Wilderness Lodge and the Animal Kingdom Lodge is the Animal Kingdom Lodge and no one would ever confuse those two with any other Disney mm-hmm. resort, right? Granted, absolutely granted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, the next question, the last one that uh, that I want to mention, this one is: Which of the following items were very influential in your decision to stay at a Disney-owned resort hotel? So again, listeners, as I go through these little check boxes, tell me whether you would check that box. Um, number one: Hotel amenities, on-site dining, shopping options, swimming pool, and so on. Early theme park entry, which Julia checked. Extended mm-hmm. evening theme park hours, which Julia did not check. Discounted magic bands. My preferred resort wasn't available. I liked the extended window for making dining reservations. I enjoy the complimentary transportation to and from the Walt Disney World theme parks and other popular destinations throughout the Walt Disney World Resort. The proximity to theme parks is important. Guest service standards, discount package or offer, complimentary standing standard parking at the Walt Disney World theme parks and water parks, I get to be the first to purchase and schedule lightning lane attractions. Julie did not check that. The Disney bubble, total immersion in the magic of Disney throughout my vacation. The resort feel or theming. Unique and different offerings like character experiences and fireworks viewing. Resort cleanliness standards. Room configuration. I can use DVC points or none of these were very influential. So that's that's super interesting because things like the, Disney's trying to figure out whether early theme park entry or extended e- the evening theme park hours are important, but then it's all, they're also trying to figure out what the other big benefits are. 
I am fascinated, especially on the heels of Disney Express going away, of them using the term the Disney bubble. Right. Have we ever seen that bubble up in a survey? No, before? I don't think. I think that's the first time we've ever seen Disney use the phrase the Disney bubble. How did this suddenly enter enter the corporate lexicon? It's because Disney Express went away, and it's like, yeah, they're, they're no longer inside of the bubble. They're no longer feeling happy about us. You know, I don't know. taking that away. So wow, wow. But this will this will tell them what the uh, what the important amenities are. I wonder if this will change their marketing to talk about different things like early theme park entry. Hmm. Speaking of which, again, we talked on the last show about the ad campaign for the Walt Disney World uh, Resort teeing off for the 50th anniversary. The juxtaposition between what's being said and what's being showed on screen is right. kind of one of those things that kind of nails home that Disney's not on their A game anymore. It was something effective, wonderful, immersive environments. You know, and <laughs> at, at that moment, you know, the, the shot that comes up of a child standing inside of a Disney store yeah you know, <laughs> like, oh. our stores are the most immersive environments you can spend money in there we go oh. we did hear from a couple of uh listeners in different parts of the country i remember one was from iowa who said disney's yep. still running the 50th anniversary commercials in that particular market so i wonder if they've just mm-hmm. taken it away from from bigger markets i wonder as well but huh. when you're talking about the walt disney company yes think nationally but also think you know the, the, how important the individual regional markets are yeah definitely All right, Jim, we've got a couple of listener questions I want to go through real quick. Uh, Here's one from Casey, who says, in last week's show, someone wrote in about the park reservation requirements going away so that annual pass holders would not have to make reservations. I'm okay with making reservations, but we normally do seven or eight days in the park for our big yearly trip. With the five-day limit, having to to buy three extra days so that we've confirmed reservations gets expensive quickly. Have you heard anything about the five-day limit being removed or increased for annual pass holders? So, Jim, I've not heard anything, but it seems like a reasonable request, right? You go it from does. like five to seven days. And again, I'm, I'm hoping someone in guest relations is listening in. Let me write this down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, just fine tune it for supposedly your very best customer. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're an AP holder and you're staying on site, you should oh, be yeah. able to. You should be able to make those reservations. Yeah, that makes Absolutely. makes complete sense. So, oh, mm-hmm. all right, Casey. We hope uh, someone from Disney's listening. I mean, people from mm-hmm. Disney listen all the time, but. Hopefully someone that can, uh, that can make some changes here. There we go. All right. Here's a letter from Andrew who says, I'm a big fan of the show and I look forward to listening every Monday. My family and I will be making a trip to Disneyland in May and I've been looking at dining reservations in the park. I'm concerned because even when I look first thing in the morning, places like Blue Bayou, Ogus Cantina, and other premium restaurants are already completely booked for the newest available day. Do you have any suggestions for how to get dining reservations other than waking up early? and trying to book. So Andrew, a couple of options. Number one, I, I think definitely you should wake up early and try and book, but also um, try and book in the day before your reservation, because typically people will try and cancel to avoid penalties on those. So like the day before your trip, you can also look for reservations. That's also an option. Also, uh, I would probably look at like the 30 day mark, which is when um, I think, I believe final payments are due for trips then. I would check that because people would cancel and still get a refund. Also, I'm just going to drop a phrase here, large fruit basket for the concierge. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) And uh, last question is from Richard. He says, I'd love to hear some of the feedback you're getting on Genie Plus. My wife and family have spent the last few days at the parks, and this is our first time back since Genie Plus was adopted. And my wife got seriously angry about the whole thing on the way back from the hotel and said she never wanted to visit Disney again. We're touring plan subscribers and love to plan our trips. 
Uh, I know they'll tweak and change the system, but this is far less superior than the old, and I'm generally okay with the change. So I will say this, Jim, and I'm addressing Richard as well. If we look at the surveys that we get from Turing Plains users and from unofficial guide readers, uh, I would say it's probably four to one against Genie uh, that we're seeing in the comments. People really don't like two things about it. One, the fact that you've got to make a reservation at seven o'clock in the morning while you're on vacation. They preferred being able to do it 60 days in advance on the trip so they could sleep in on vacation. And the second thing that just galls them, of course, is the price. But we are only in the first 30 days now. And frankly, there's a number of people in parks and resorts who are seeing the exact same levels you're talking about here, Len, the, the, the response from guests and that sort of thing. But the, the pushback from upper management is we really don't have enough data at this point. Right. We spent a lot of money on this. We've spent a lot of time developing this. I'm not going to make a decision about this with just 30 days worth of data. Right. So this will be adjusted. This will be tweaked. But we could, you know, it's at least three months, more like six. Mm, okay. Before you're going to see that finessing because they're going to want the really for real data. Yeah, and they're, they're going to yeah. want February school vacation, April school vacation. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they were hoping to get some stuff at Christmas, but with um, with COVID. That's exactly. Yeah, I think crowds were definitely lower than, than we expected. Hmm. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim finishes up the story about Disney's first attempt at a Marvel attraction, which is the Iron Man experience at Hong Kong Disneyland. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back. All right, Jim, we, we left off. You were talking about the fact that Disney owns the Night at the Museum film series, mm-hmm. when, which they acquired when they bought Fox. Mm-hmm. And that removed the roadblock for Jon Favreau to proceed with his Magic Kingdom project. There's a reason that Jon Favreau uh, you know, included uh, Flushing Meadow in the 1964 World's Fair uh, in Iron Man 2. John literally grew up across the street. Oh, really? Yeah. And in fact, he was born in October of 66, and the fair had ended at that point. But he, he talked about, by making this movie, I, I got to revisit where I grew up, which was right across the street from Flushing Meadow Park. The whole Stark experience uh, in Fleshing Meadow, the old fairgrounds, I grew up looking out my window at the remains of the 60-foot World's Fair. And so this is the way to represent that in this story. It's a love letter to Queens. And Queens doesn't get a lot of love. Queens does not get a lot of love, right. Yeah. So you have to picture, if you you rewatch this movie now and take in the moment where, for example, Tony Stark actually flies through the universe, 
as he's making his entrance, you got a picture 10 year old John Favreau looking out his bedroom window at that. And it's like, okay, you know, someday I'm going to do something with this. What you mentioned about the, the magic kingdom project that John's been trying to get going. What's been kind of interesting is a couple of folks have stepped forward since and explained that, well, you know, one of the reasons Disney didn't go forward with it as a movie was John really wanted to do it. In fact, lovely is like, wow, you know, John Favreau takes notes from Lentesta. You know, he wanted it to be darker. He wanted it to have a sci-fi feel. And Disney was like, you know, we, we really just want that night at the museum money. Is, is that a bad thing? You know? <laughs> That's fantastic. Something happy. Something fun. And so what's absolutely fascinating about it is because Disney couldn't bring itself to turn the key as a movie. However, February of last year, it was announced that Ronald Moore, now Disney cut a deal with Ron okay. of last year to do a whole bunch of projects that are tied to the Disney theme parks that are headed to Disney Plus. And among them is the Magic Kingdom. Because we, we don't have to go theatrical with this. We're not limited to two hours. And more to the point, we can go dark. Uh, where he was talking about what excites him about where Disney is headed in the next couple of years. Oh, he actually used the phrase metaverse, right? He did. He yeah. did. And yeah, Chapek is very, very excited about the notion of creating these sorts of shows that are feature components of the parks that then allow guests to interact with them. What's particularly worth noting is that if you do the uh, Muppet Haunted Mansion show that was just done, yep. uh, which did a marvelous job of recreating the interior and the exterior of that attraction, was all shot in the volume. You know, uh, and, and you know, so that, that's the notion now going forward. The Magic Kingdom project is finally viable because it's like, hell, hell, we can shoot it. We don't even have to go into a park. You know, we can just shoot it on a soundstage. No, I think that's fantastic. What did you think of that movie, by the way? I thought they did a great job. I thought Kirk Thatcher, who both wrote and directed that, I just would really like it if Disney Plus would give him shots at making some other Muppet theme park attractions. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was. I thought it was a, a good. I'm, I'm sure the budget for this was relatively low, and it was like, uh, you know, we don't want to risk too much on the Muppets here. But for what, like, what likely the budget was, I thought it was a. It was a success. Was it, you know, the best Muppet thing ever done? You know, no. Was it solid? Would I watch it? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd watch things like that. Yeah, so I mean, it's a good start. Yeah, definitely, it's just the Muppets these days, especially in the the age of Pixar and and Marvel and Simpsons and, and all that. It's. <laughs> You know, it's not like it was in, in 89, you know, when, when right. Eisner initially wanted to snag this IP because it's like, oh, it's huge. It's like really has to fight for the spotlight these days. Well, anyway, OK, to get back to the Iron Man experience now. So we were just talking about the Stark Expo scene from Iron Man 2 and the whole notion of, well, wait a minute, if we're going to do this for Hong Kong Disneyland, how do we explain that the Stark Expo that was so clearly in this movie from 2010 was, you know, set in New York. What's it doing here in Hong Kong? And it was John Lasseter, the, the then head of Pixar Animation Studios and Walt Disney Animation Studios, more importantly, the creative consultant for Imagineering, who basically cleared the way. You know, he was the one who said, look, this is Tony Stark. At this point, he's a tech giant. You know, he would obviously be borrowing a page from Steve Jobs. Yeah, he's like Steve Jobs with missiles, right? <laughs> oh, no. 
Set your Apple Watch for Afghanistan. <laughs> um, so. That was great. I'm choking all over a second. Keep going. Keep talking. Okay. All right. But face it, at this point, China's seen as an emerging market for tech. Stark Industries would obviously want to be in the middle of that. Which is why Tony, in order to, to stake a claim on, on this market, would stage a Stark Expo over there one year. Sure. Uh, not only that, but to really make it obvious to Stark Industries rivals that it was in it to win it, Tony would build a brand new Stark Tower right in the middle of downtown Hong Kong and then put a huge new arc reactor on the top of that building. So it's <laughs> like, you know, to last of his just look, he's Steve Jobs. You know, that he'd, he'd make the big gesture. And more to the point, were people to quibble about, you know, I'm walking into a, a theme park and the very thing you pointed out, you know, the effect of here's this this tech company, you know, Stark Industries, through which from the movies, we've been told they're into missiles, they're into weaponry. It's like, what is that doing inside of a theme park? And the imaginaries, the answer they came up with was right from the company's history. And uh, Ted Robolo, uh, you know, the creative lead on, on Iron Man, as the attraction over to Hong Kong shared this, it's like, look, when Walt Disney built the first Tomorrowland, he had partners from American industry, uh, companies like Monsanto, McDonnell Douglas, RCA, use this opportunity uh, to showcase a lot of their latest tech to the millions of people who were visiting Disneyland each year. If th- th- there's a Tony Stark, you know, he comes up with some brand new tech that he wants to showcase, like in this case, the the Iron Wing. Wouldn't he do the same thing that Monsanto or McDonald Douglas or RCA did back in the 50s and 60s? He'd cut a deal with Disney, spot an attraction in one of their parks, and he'd a little goodwill, you know? So at this point, it's like, okay, story problem solved. So now it's time to build this $100 million attraction, which, by the way, I'm sure Magic Kingdom fans will sympathize with this, but due to the site prep and the foundation work that needed to be done at the very edge of Tomorrowland, to accommodate construction of the Iron Man Experience show building, Hong Kong Disneyland's railroad had to shut down from February 2014 to June of the following year. Weren't we hearing that the railroad might open this month? Oh, in the Magic Kingdom? I um, think it's been shut down since yeah. 1865. Oh, there we go. So you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's been, what, three three years? 2019? 2018? Yeah, kind should, of they I drove the golden spike. And kind exactly. Of, and we're done. Yeah, exactly. We, we don't actually want to use this thing, so... Anyway, once the building's built, five motion-based simulators are installed inside of the structure. Ride Film, uh, which is created by ILM. By the way, they took all of the experience that they'd acquired uh, creating the multiple ride films for Star Tours The Adventure Continues. Basically tried to make the Iron Man experience almost a best-of experience, taking their favorite, whether it's moves of the simulator or staging uh, of individual scenes. In, you know, pulling them from Star Tours. In fact, I'm told that a lot of the stuff from the scene set on the planet of uh, the city planet of Coruscant Mm -hmm. uh, were used for the Hong Kong, you know, flying through the, uh, you know, between the the skyscrapers and the street battle with, of course, uh, Marvel Studios regularly consulting. Also worth noting here. The ride film recently got updated Uh, when this attraction first opened in, in January 2017. Iron Man experience definitely made you, you know, made a point of we are leaving from Hong Kong Disneyland and flying across the bay to the city of Hong Kong. So you you literally did a flyby of that park's version of Sleeping Beauty Castle. Oh, but then it changed. It did. Ah. It did, which is, you know, it became the Castle of Magical Dreams in September of 2020 in time for that park's 50th anniversary, 15th anniversary. 
And the Iron Man uh, experience ride film was changed at that time to reflect that change. Wow, that's uh, a yeah. that's that's uh, being on top of things. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, and <laughs> but the thing that the Imaginers sweated the most. The whole thing of would yes except at the Stark Expo, mm-hmm. uh, which again Iron Man two from two thousand ten staged in Flushing Meadow. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, would they accept that it was you know staged in Hong Kong, New Zealand? Yes, never questioned it. Didn't care. Isn't that funny? Got on the ride, loved it. Which is why when time came to expand Marvel Studios' presence at Hong Kong Disneyland in September two thousand seventeen. They just shut down Buzz Lightyear Astro Blaster. I did the show building that was located next door and changed the exterior of that building. So it then became yet another building at the, the Stark Expo, the Shield Science and Technology Pavilion, uh, which then reopened in March of 2019 as the home of Ant-Man of the Wasp Nano Battle. But that's an attraction we'll talk about another I love that uh, it's nano battle because they can just open up an attraction and be like, oh, they're fighting. You just can't see it because they're so small. <laughs> Exits this way. Please go through the gift shop. <laughs> By the way, Jim, the uh, Magic Kingdom uh, Railroad closed on December 3rd, uh, 2018. So it's uh, three years and change. It'll be three and a half years by the time it reopens. So what was it? February to June. So what is it? It's 15 months. So really twice, twice the amount of time. But again, we to be fair, we have to factor in the pandemic. Yeah, sure. You know, but oh, fair. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including live shows Jim and I have recorded in all four Walt Disney World theme parks. On next week's show, Jim looks back at the history of Epcot's Communicore, which closed on January 31st, 1994, to make way for interventions. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, lenittouringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be playing Cowbell on Junior Sisk's performance of the Bluegrass album Flat and Scruggs at Carnegie Hall at the 20th Annual Spring Bluegrass Festival on Saturday, March 12th at the Ozark Highlands Theater in beautiful downtown Mountain View, Arkansas. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.